Hey everyone, welcome to episode 74, yeah, can you believe that, of F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. You know, this podcast is for you, the landscape photography community, so I am super appreciative of all the support you're providing over on Patreon. I literally could not do this without your support, so thanks for everyone who's supporting the podcast. You're awesome. Uh, this week is Hans Strand. Man, probably one of my favorite photographers. His aerial photography of Iceland is, like, inspiring, just incredible. And we talked a lot about aerial photography on this podcast, but we also talked about, like, the landscape photography, um, like, where we're at as a, as a community and, and, uh, and why, why he shoots intimate landscapes. Man, it was just an awesome conversation. So I think it is one of the best ones we've done. So thanks for tuning in. Without further ado, here's Hans Strand. All right. Well, Hans Strand, thank yeah. you so much for coming on us up, collaborate, and listen. Yeah, great. I'm a huge fan of your work, man. It's, it's, it is top notch. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I like your work as well. So, yeah. Anyway, well, it's one to one then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know that I'm deserving of the praise that uh, that you are, just given the the quality and and breadth of the work that you've produced. But I appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> mm, thank you. Yeah. Well, so gosh, I feel like you're kind of legendary in the circles of landscape photographers that I run in. But there are probably some listeners out there that may not know much about you. Um, so maybe just give us a quick snapshot of who you are and kind of what is your passion in terms of landscape photography wow that's uh, that's <laughs> my memoirs <laughs> yeah well let's start with the wheel invention of the wheel about seven thousand years ago <laughs> now Perfect. well um actually uh i was not born a photographer i i it came to my life pretty late uh, i educated myself to become an engineer and uh, uh we i was studying here in stockholm at the royal institute of uh, technology. I was studying uh, mechanical engineering. Last year at school, we managed to raise some money from the Swedish industry. So we made a trip to California to Stanford University. And at the same time, I started to become interested in photography. I was buying photo magazines and uh, I'm a little bit weird. All of a sudden, I can become really interested in, in a subject that I haven't been interested in before. And I was 25 years old at that time, and I had never really had a camera. You know, I had just a Instamatic, a Kodak Instamatic in the 60s, and so, which was not really a camera, flash cubes and so on. But anyway, uh, I bought uh, a camera in San Francisco, and I took my first rolls of film in Yosemite, and it was 21 rolls of Kodachrome. And everybody in my class considered me being an idiot shooting 21 rolls of film. And I just was just blown away by the magic of looking through a viewfinder. And through the camera, uh, I was connected with the nature in front of me, with the landscape. And that, uh, that connection is still there after, uh, what is it, 37 years now. Um, I I still feel the same kind of magic when I look through a viewfinder and 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 the passion of putting four corners on what I have in front of me and try to make a 
good composition. I, I think that's a fantastic challenge and really, yeah, that's what's driving me. Awesome. How did, yeah. I feel like so much of your, so much of your work is, um, aerial based photography. And I know, well, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that, um, a lot of your work was actually done from an airplane or a helicopter. Um, what inspired you to start doing aerial photography? Wow. I have to think that, uh, how did that start? Uh, well, actually, it started. Uh, I did my first. Uh, I made my first trip to Iceland in 1995, and then I, I bought a book uh, by a German photographer. His name was Klaus Franke, uh, a book uh, with aerials of Iceland, and I was totally blown away by the colors and the complexity of the landscape, the geometry, the the chaos of of rivers, etc., and. Uh, it took me five years uh, before I came back, and in 2000 I I rented I rented a pilot and a Cessna and tried it out myself. And uh, first of all, I thought that he had been uh, faking, so to speak, to get these kind of crazy colors. I thought he was <laughs> might have used the infrared film or something, but those colors really existed, and and. And uh, I got really hooked on uh, I got hooked on this uh, aerial thing, and it it in the beginning it was a nightmare because I, I have I easily become uh, air sick, travel sick, motion sick, what do you call? It. So I had a nightmare throwing up in airplanes, etc. And <laughs> and um, eventually I came, I found a cure for it. I uh, I I put a patch behind my ear and uh, the twenty four uh, the twelve hours before, and then I have no problems at all. Have no symptoms. So that was it. But um, yeah, well, uh, aerial photography is like Christmas Day, you know, it, because it, it's like standing at the end of a conveyor belt with. Uh, landscapes coming towards you in a, in a fast pace you know it's like yeah well it's a buffet of, of opportunities and uh, I have never experienced that kind of intensity in, in ground level photography it's much more a slow planning thing whereas aerial photography you you get a lot of surprises and uh, and it's uh, it's it's an enormous intensity which uh, makes it more fun, I think. So I've, I can only imagine. I mean, I've I've taken one helicopter ride um, with a camera in Kauai, and mm. I have a vague recollection of being pretty overwhelmed in terms of figuring out what to shoot uh, and how to shoot it. Um, so, gosh, uh, you know, obviously. Um, you have a fantastic eye for aerial photography. Um, ha I guess my, one of my questions I have for you is, um, how has your eye for aerial photography informed your artistic approach when you shoot from the ground? Well, I don't think it... Or, vi or vice versa. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just that it's more... Uh, how to say? It's more like... A, boxing match whereas uh <laughs> when, when you're in the air it's it's you have to be quick you know 
in in your reactions. Whereas when you shoot from ground level, it's more uh, uh, almost a transcendental meditative thing. You, it's it's a you get into the right into the zone, so to speak. You 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 try to be one with the landscape in front of you and to. I used to describe myself when I when I'm photographing in a forest, for instance. I I used to describe myself like a Native American, you know, uh, to be one with nature around me and and to uh, uh, how shall I say? Um, I don't force myself. I let I try to let the landscape uh, and the uh, the possible compositions come to me. Uh, I don't rush it. I, I it, it's it's a very uh, slow process, right? But whereas in, in the air, it's it's a really aggressive, fast thing. Yeah. So how do you <laughs> artistically? How do you cope with that 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 speeding raceway of images coming coming at you at a million miles a second? Um, what is your strategy for for capturing those images so quickly of course it's a it's a matter of experience i've flown a lot i've flown let's say roughly 150 hours now over iceland and of course with the experience you 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 develop a style and uh, you also know that it works better like this or like that instead of yeah what what's first presented to you so you try to direct the pilot to get the angles you want etc the altitude you want and uh yeah it, it's it's not an easy uh it's not so easy to describe the work how, how i work but it's it's a lot of backbone reactions <laughs> it's uh it's, it sounds like it's almost second nature after you've been in the air for so long you just you kind of get a picture in your mind of something you saw and maybe it would look look really good from a certain angle or from with certain light hitting it or mm. things like that or you saw certain compositional yeah. elements i don't know yeah the angle of light is extremely important and and uh, the landscape uh, if uh, if you fly with a fixed wing high wing airplane you fly 360s around the objects all the time and then you really see how it changes with the angle of light Whereas with a helicopter, you, you fly more from A to B to C. Right. Uh, helicopter is easier uh, in one way because you f- can fly much lower and you can have much more precision with your composition. But um, it's not bad to fly an airplane either. You, you tend to get more abstract, shooting more straight down with an, from an airplane. So are you, because you're in a moving object shooting, <laughs> shooting these landscapes, are you shooting at a fairly high shutter speed then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll uh, depending on the focal length, but um, if, we thought, if we're talking DSLRs, uh, I, I kind of like, when I fly helicopter, I like uh, either a 35 or a 28, a prime. Uh, and then uh, with a wide angle, I'm, I'm actually most of the time I'm I'm okay with a five hundred of a second, but I, most of the time I try to set it higher, maybe a seven fifty or a thousand of a second. But it's not a problem to get sharp images 
normally with a five hundredth uh, five hundred of a second with a with a wide angle. But if I shoot uh, uh, around fifty millimeter or eighty five, I need to get up in shutter speed. Eighty five requires uh, at least 1250, uh, 1600 of a second to be on the safe side. That makes sense to me. Because uh, from helicopters, you, you, you're dealing with vibrations. And, uh, uh, and the vibrations, of course, implements uh, motion blur. Uh, and from airplanes, they don't vibrate, but then you move over the ground. So you have to have fairly high altitude uh, to avoid uh, motion or blurred images it's it's your relative motion uh, towards uh, the ground underneath you that causes the blur there right so yeah so it's both times you between a rock and a hard place <laughs> yeah no kidding so how how do you feel like aerial photography is different um, from our from an artistic perspective than say uh, land-based photography, it, it can be very, uh, very abstract, which I like. Uh, my kind of aerials are are uh, uh, the, the most of them are quite abstract. I, I try not to reveal scale, etc. Uh, some some shots I include horizon, but quite often I exclude the horizon just to make the pictures more enigmatic or or mm. abstract, uh, and that's something I really like. Um, uh, what was the question well, again? I, think uh, uh, I mean, you definitely um, started to answer, but yeah. it's like, how is aerial photography different mm. artistically? Oh yeah, well, um, whereas. Um, it, it's a kind of two-dimensional, uh, two-dimensional photographs. Whereas uh, ground-level photographs, since I most of the time use wide angles, they are more three D. You work with foreground, middle plane, and background, and uh, you, you kind of create an architecture that way. Whereas uh, from the air, you, you shoot a surface, uh, which from the air is fairly flat, uh, fairly two-dimensional, uh, two-dimensional. Sometimes, of course, you can work with uh, like foregrounds as well, especially with helicopters. But most of my aerial photographs are are, uh, are um, of patterns and structures, yeah. etc., and uh, fairly two dimensional. Yeah. So, um, what is it about uh, abstracts and intimate landscapes that uh, that keeps you coming back versus? the grand kind of landscape like why why do you think why are you focusing more on on those abstract intimate shots uh it's you have the answer in in the in the name intimate <laughs> landscapes uh it's more in it is more intimate you you get more uh, inclined with uh, the landscape uh, whereas uh um grand vistas is more like uh, you're standing on top of a mountain Photograph another mountain, etc. It's more, um, how do you say, one photography is subtle, the other is sublime, and uh, I prefer the subtle type of photography. It's more, it's more, uh, how do you say, uh, reflecting your own, uh, uh, your own, uh, how do you say, personality. Mm. Uh, 
it allows more poetry, whereas the other is more more fixed. Uh, you have lesser uh, possibility to do something special if you photograph the grand vistas. You know, you you, you it's most of the time a matter of being very lucky with the light, <laughs> and uh, whereas with, in the intimate landscape you you can work with with absolutely uh, I, I wouldn't say no light but the gray light uh, overcast light which is very very forgiving and uh, allows you to spend the time you want to get the composition you want whereas if you work work with uh, early morning late evening light either you have to plan it in advance you know exactly where you should stand or you have to be very quick finding a good composition because if you don't nail the composition, I think the photographs are boring. Uh, great landscapes in fantastic light with bad composition, that sucks really. <laughs> uh, yeah, trust I me, think. I have a lot of those on my website. So <laughs> I, totally, I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you, you understand what I mean. I mean, it's... Uh, uh photographs without uh composition they it's like they are lacking the backbone like lacking architecture and then uh, they don't communicate i think uh, and i think if you look at back in the history of photography every single great photograph you see has they have a composition uh i, I think that's very important uh, i I saw an in interview with Cartier Bresson once. Uh, I saw it on the internet, and the guy who interviewed him asked him, uh, "What's the essence of your photography?" And he was expecting some very intellectual answer, but Cartier Bresson simply said, uh, "It's all about geometry." And I think you have the answer there. Uh, photography is about balancing. Uh, signals inside a given frame and uh, if you manage to do that in a in a smart intellectual way I think the photographs will communicate better than if you don't so for for, for people that uh, maybe that doesn't come naturally to them like how, how what are some strategies they can use in order to um, refine or develop that skill in the field first uh, I think the major mistakes a lot of people are doing, especially wildlife photographers, they're using autofocus and and autofocus is automatically focusing on, on, on the animal in the center of the picture and then they take the picture and you have every shot is a 10, so to speak. If you shoot, I, I'm an ex-rifle shooter and if you shoot uh, exactly in the, in the center, you shoot a 10x. And, and and they put put the main object in the dead center of the picture all the time, and that that becomes very static. Of course, that's that's a number one rule to break. But it can be perfect perfect also, of course, to have to emphasize symmetry to put the main object in the dead center. But uh, the main thing is to be aware. Uh, try to be aware of how you compose instead of uh, being keen on. Cap, catching the how to say uh, catching the scene or whatever I should say. Uh, um, when you, when you when you take when you take the picture, you should all, always ask yourself: uh, 
is this the way I want to frame it? Should I frame it like this, or should I try something else? And quite often, it's it's uh, you, you should be brave. Uh, I I think way too many photographers too often include a sky, a boring sky that doesn't add anything to the picture, and and by excluding skies, the picture picture automatically becomes more intimate and more uh, poetic, more abstract. And I think that could be a uh, an advice to start yeah, with. I think um, for a lot of people, that's in an incredibly unintuitive thing because people are so used to wanting to include the sky and clouds and things mm. like that because it's um, naturally when we're near there in person, like that's part of the scene that you see. Um, and of course, if it's, uh, if it's got great light or whatever, like it's, I think it's really difficult for people to want to exclude that intentionally. <laughs> mm. And, uh, you need to be brave, you know, uh, to, uh, not to shoot the whole fantastic scene, shoot a part of the scene. You need to be a little bit brave. But you can do both if you if you uh, if you find it too much of a challenge to start with. Maybe you can do both. But but I I always try to uh, do my own uh, interpretations, even though I come to very famous classic uh, uh, places uh, where, where I know people have shot this before, and I I would say I never shoot it like I've seen other people uh, shot it. I try to do my own thing. Even though I know it won't be uh, as good as the uh, uh, the original uh, sort of composition I've seen, but at least it's my own take on it, and uh, I, I hate to copy. Uh, in the old days, when I started, I I traveled to America several times, and I was influenced by the photography of David Munch and and the pioneers of landscape photography. I, I went to the same places. I probably put my tripod in the same holes as as they had but it never gave me a good taste afterwards uh, and and uh, after i would say 1990 i've never done that again uh, if i come to a famous place i always try to do my own version of it so how do you feel about people that um, go out of their way now to copy compositions and then um I guess the, the, the growing trend that I see is that people in, intentionally go after very specific compositions of even intimate scenes and then make absolutely no mention of the fact that it was inspired by the work of artists that came before them. I, I'm curious what you how you feel about that. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's... Um, it's um... I don't know what kind of parallels you can in music you can you can do covers <laughs> right and uh, and you can get away with that some covers are better than the originals so uh, maybe it's also possible in photography but uh, but if you constantly do that it won't you, you know you will never evolve as a photographer and you will never be able to create your own uh, uh, how do you say your own brand or your own style uh, I think it's disastrous to do that in the long run I I think we all do that in the beginning just to do make some shortcuts and but sooner or later you have to uh, 
stand on your own legs, I think. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's my answer. And yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't know, for me personally, um, it always feels better to have a decent shot that's maybe my own that, you know, it's maybe mm. not as good as the classic shot than mm. to have, a, you know, the classic shot that's already been done before that's it's a better composition, it's a better shot, but it's not really like an original take. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, especially as you're learning or as you're, as you're mm. growing as a photographer. But I think at some point, if your goal is to, you know, make a name for yourself or to s- separate yourself as a, as somebody, then I think you need to maybe shy away from that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, well, God, I had the, um, I had the pleasure about nine months ago of, um, coming across a, a book that you put together on intimate landscapes from Iceland, um, which I thought was probably one of the most stunning photo books I've ever looked at. And it just happened to coincide about a month before I went to Iceland for the first time myself. So I, it was mm-hmm. very inspiring uh, for me. I'm curious, how long did it take you to curate the images that went into that book? And what process did you use to kind of decide what would go in and what would stay out? Yeah, I, I don't think it's anything usual with that book uh, than other books. Uh, uh, you, I had worked uh, for many years. Uh, that that book you were referring to was launched in 2014, and uh, that was after 19 years of traveling to Iceland. So I had literally a ton of of image images to ch- choose from, and uh, actually I I did first um, a course uh, selection. And I sent it to uh, the guy who was doing the layout. I, I let him to start because I'm I'm kind of biased, <laughs> and I wanted to see his uh, see see his take on it. And I let him to play around and making couples, etc. And then then I I kind of corrected <laughs> corrected him sort of no, but I, <laughs> I I I implemented my own ideas and maybe I took out some pictures here and uh, put made some other pairs, but. I let him start because I think that's fresh. Uh, get see uh, the material with fresh eyes, and sometimes uh, you tend to include images that were that were the most difficult to take, but they are not necessarily the best ones. You know, uh, when when you've been suffering a, a lot, and you think I have to have that picture in because I I I got blisters and I screwed up my back. <laughs> I did everything to get that photograph, but. Uh, but in the end, maybe it wasn't that great. And and the person who who doesn't know the story behind the picture, he is free from that. Uh, so uh, that could be a good way. So that's how we started with that book. And now I'm making a new Iceland book, which will be launched launched in October. I did the same thing there. I did I selected about thousand images and sent them to the publisher and. Uh, the woman who did the layout uh, started and, and took and made it like a first layout, and then I had a, di- a dialogue with her. We changed uh, maybe maybe we changed twenty five percent of the images, but that's it. And uh, 
you can also do the thing you do everything yourself from the beginning right I, i've done that before but uh, i think it's fun to see what other people uh, like about your work to start with yeah no gosh after all after all it's uh it's it's uh, other people than you who should uh um like the book in the end so of course you should always you should be uh you shouldn't publish anything you don't like but yeah gosh you just said yeah, it's, you it's, just said something that made me really um think about my own work um and it's something i've struggled with for probably forever and i really wanted to maybe go a little bit deeper on that um you 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 brought up this kind of the dichotomy uh between you know the story behind the photo versus the story that the photo itself tells and mm. and i know i really struggle with that because you know as someone who climbs a lot of mountains and a lot of my photos are mm. are like you know the the actual story behind getting the photo for me oftentimes mm. uh for for my personal uh interest in the photo is often much stronger than the actual photo itself. So I'm curious, like, mm. how do you, do you think it's important to separate those two things? And and how do you do that when you're, when you're actually um, in the field composing? Well, actually time uh, helps that quite, uh, quite good because when, when you, uh, uh, when you're coming home from a, from a hike or something, and you you went through some struggle to do this and that. Of course, those images are the most precious one to you. But half a year later, you have more or less forget your 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 uh, struggle, and uh, the picture become maybe more uh, mediocre, you know. And, and uh, I think it's dangerous to put new material into a, a book just because it's it's new and it's uh, let it. Let the time let it stand the time first. I think, um, yeah, I think that's that's a good um, good uh, advice. Um, awesome. I I know myself uh, when I I hiked a lot in the Swedish mountains when I was younger, and I was always um, uh, I was really proud of maybe climbing some difficult peak with crampoons and ropes and that kind of stuff and. But I'm not sure the picture was that great, you know. <laughs> I think I had better pictures taking uh, five meters from the car. Right. Okay. <laughs> many times. And, uh, and you have that famous uh, quote from, I think it was Edward Weston who said, anything further away than 50 yards from the car is not worth to be photographed. <laughs> photographed. Uh, that's pretty, that's quite fun. And it not, it's not necessarily better further up the mountain, you know. So... Uh, my recipe is uh, to dig where you stand most of the time. Try to do the best of where you stand. And of course, if you see some uh, great potential moving, of course you should, but um, not necessarily. Uh, I know I have friends who always, when we get to a place, they just run up the hill. But um could be pretty nice five meters from your tent. <laughs> exactly. Also. Yeah, I struggle with that a lot because I I love to have like I don't know. Sometimes I feel like the more the less obstruction you have between you and the subject, oftentimes you have more options in terms of composition. Or, but but to your point, I think 
sometimes the better composition is 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 lower and includes more foreground elements and things like that. Now, fatigue is uh, is an important uh, factor here. If you struggle too much, uh, you become dumber and dumber. Uh, whereas if you are fresh, you 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 make smarter shots. That's for sure. <laughs> I can speak from experience. I I did a crazy hike in the Swedish mountains in 1993, carrying 43 kilos on my back, uh, and I I went through the most fantastic landscapes. But I, I was so tired, I couldn't. I I just couldn't uh, take my backpack off and, and take up the camera because I was too tired and I. I was just anxious to to make get to the camp uh, camping uh, area, to, and I I just couldn't stop uh, on my way just because I I was so eager to to get rid of my backpack and so on. Uh, whereas if you if you travel lighter, if I had had not had all these all these cameras with me, I, I think I had I had a four by five camera and I probably had seven lenses or something crazy and and uh four by five cassettes and you know and and cooking <laughs> kitchenette and and dry camping food and everything of course if i had done it with a lighter equipment i'm sure i would have got a lot of great images but yeah today it's easier because you have much lighter Absolutely. equipment <laughs> super super high quality compact equipment which is a huge difference from let's say 20 yeah. years ago well so you have a quote that i want to quote uh bring up and then i want to i want to kind of have you expound upon it further and and kind of talk through what it what it means to you um that you had sent me which i which i it resonated with me quite a bit um and so it is a Quote, I find that way too much of landscape photography is about sensation and an urge to impress rather than telling a story. What did you, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, um, I, I think uh, uh, today quite a lot of photographers uh, post their material on the internet, on social media, etc. And they are... Uh, trying to get as many likes as possible, trying to impress on the big uh, masses. And uh, there is a certain style that you know that really gonna, you know it's going to work. If you have a sunset, high mountain peak in early morning, late evening light, etc., rising fog, whatever, you know you're going to get a lot of likes. And, and you try to make impressive photographs. But... Uh, it would be more interesting to see uh, more brave shots uh, where you have taken some risks, I would say pushing the boundaries, making uh, ugly photographs, but they can be, uh, it can be very complex and intellectual, but they're not necessarily beautiful. Uh, uh, beauty can uh, have many different faces, sort of speak. Uh, Beauty is not just a flower field and uh, uh, high mountain peaks in, in morning light. Beauty can can lie within complexity as well. And uh, I was re just recently photographing some mud patterns in Iceland, and I thought those were 
crazy. I mean, they they're actually ugly <laughs> mud. It's not beautiful, but the pattern were patterns were fantastic. It was like spider's web, and um, so uh, I I would not trade that uh, for for a sunrise. Um, um, so I don't know if I answered your question, but. Uh, there, there's a trend to to make very stereotype uh, photographs, uh, uh, whereas uh, where where you where landscape photography is always about early morning, late evening light, and and all the other time you can uh, relax. You, you shouldn't even touch your camera, and uh, and I think that's too romantic approach for me. Uh, I, I was. I was photographing that way when I was younger. I was also trying to make impressive photographs, but uh, with rising age, I, I I've left that behind me. I, I I go more for complexity than from for uh, for, um, for for something impressive. So how do you how do you find those kinds of images? Because I I, I had a recently I went on a like a four-day backpacking trip and you know I had a day off where I kind of just relaxed and I was trying I was just kind of walking around looking for those kind of shots and I think I came away with maybe one photo of like a rock that had a bunch of moss on it that I thought was interesting but other than that like I really struggled to find anything that uh, was interesting to me How, like, did you do? Have you found that that just gets easier over time, or is there a certain strategy that you use to, to kind of t- tune your eye into seeing those types of scenes? Yeah, well, it's it's hard to describe, but I, I used to uh, describe the process like um, you have a slot machine where you can get different combinations. You know, you want to have three melons in a row, or three. Uh, strawberries or three uh, cherries or whatever it is you, uh, um, your head should work like a slot machine you go out for uh, and you're trying to find three cherries in a row but you end up shooting three strawberries uh, with that said I mean that you 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 have something in your head you you, you think this forest or whatever it is this desert uh, you're looking for something and all of a sudden, you see something completely different, and then you should be able to uh, do a one eighty uh, turn, sort of, and do something completely different. And I, I think my my uh, talent is very much on that because I, 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 I can kind of uh, do completely different things than I have planned for. Uh, quick, you know, in a second, I can change my mind and my my strategy and. Whereas I've been with photographers who say, well, if we get missed, this is going to be fantastic. But we didn't get any missed, and they end up shooting nothing. And I found something completely different, and I was happy with that. And uh, so you should be uh, flexible. Uh, Your mind has to be flexible and try to adapt to the, the situation you have, to the light, to the... Uh, vegetation to the surroundings and maybe do something completely different from you have from what you have planned for Mm, i like that (laughs) i like that a lot yeah it's um it's something that i constantly find myself struggling with when i'm out taking pictures and of course especially if 
you know, the lights, not what you expected or what you had hoped for. It's, I find you often mm. are, you know, it, for whatever reason, I think some people, you know, they get bummed out and, uh, and then they, I think it sets your mind on a different path of, you know, you're not being open to seeing what you can find. I think, uh, you should keep the radar on all the time and, uh, kind of digest the, the landscape you're, you're passing through if you're walking and uh, be uh, alert. And if you see something, something uh, weird or interesting, then you should stop and try to do something of it. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Hmm. Well, I got a few more questions for you. Um, I, I really want to know, for, as someone who's been kind of doing this for longer than probably your average photographer nowadays. Um, you've kind of seen the ebb and flow of, of, of where landscape photography has gone um, and kind of what trends have emerged and kind of where it's at today. How do you, how do you feel about the current state of uh, landscape photography given your perspective? I think photography has evolved uh, dramatically with the digital technique, uh, uh, and I'm really happy to to uh, have experienced the transition from the analog uh, to digital. And I mean, first of all, it's so much easier to uh, to get good uh, exposures. You you never, I don't think I never expose anything wrong because you always have the histogram to look at and if you're inside the histogram you have a correct exposure and and uh, it's also educating because you you look at the 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 screen and you see well ah i i should have done this instead and you you shoot it again and and you improve the photograph and and yeah and i think everything has improved you have better depth of field, you have better colors, better shadow detail, highlight detail. Everything is better. And uh, uh, the problem is with, probably is that we are fed with so much great pho photography that we get numb. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, in the old days, uh, what we saw were were some photo books. Now and then, we didn't have internet. We 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 got uh, we saw the new images uh, in in new books or uh, in magazines. And today we see new stuff every day on internet, and uh, we get so much uh, uh, so much more. Uh, input than we we had before and you, when you see something uh, done in a new uh, style you can implement that uh, uh, kind of composition technique or exposure or color management or whatever you see you can try to implement that in your own photography and that way develop uh, and I think it, it's uh, wrong to say that it was better before. It was not. I, I think photography has never been better than it is today. In terms of uh, the quality or where where it's at in terms of... Um... 
Yeah, a number of, of good okay. photographs. Uh, there, there is always uh, better and worse photographers, of course, but I, I think there are more good photographers today than it, it was oh, before. <laughs> I, I, I think I definitely think that it's, it's actually almost scary to see how many good <laughs> photographers there are. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Have you? Uh, yeah. It's kind of related to that. Um, kind of being someone who, you know, started doing aerial photography in the '90s from an airplane. How do you feel about the um, kind of invention and advent and popularity of of drone photography? Hmm. I, I I'm I'm thinking of getting a drone myself, but. Uh, now, uh, I was just recently, uh, last week, I was in Iceland, and I saw they have, uh, how do you say, um, pro, what do you call it, prohibition? Yeah, yeah there's prohibited. like no, no Yeah, signs, all, almost every place you, yeah, there are signs almost everywhere that you're not allowed to fly them. So, I don't know what what, what the future will be, but definitely fantastic, uh, uh, you can get fantastic new angles to, to um to common uh, objects uh, just by you don't necessarily have to fly high maybe just getting up five meters and you can get a completely new angle uh yeah it, it's interesting definitely uh, uh and, and when i fly helicopter i i quite often use it on very low altitude uh to going back to these mud patterns i was just shooting last week uh uh, we hovered uh, probably uh, ten meters over ground to shoot those, and but I could never have shot them from ground level because uh, first of all I wouldn't have been able to get out in the center of the mud, and getting up high I would would never have been able mm -hmm. to do that from the ground, and I could have done it of course with a drone if I could have got to that location, but. Uh, um, uh, there's quite a lot of interesting aerial photography still to be done on on low low altitude. Yeah, where you just change change your position, just get up of some a few meters up, and you get a completely new perspective, and and the the outcome looks like ground level ground level photographs. They don't look like uh, aerials. They look like uh, something that has been shot from the yeah, ground. Yeah, I know. I know when I was That's, in Iceland, uh, yeah. you know, driving around, there was a lot of places where I was thinking to myself, man, if I had a drone, I would use it here just to get like maybe 20 or 30 feet off the ground and just to show all of the mm. volcanic rock and the moss and, and things like that, mm. that you can't necessarily get a perspective of from the ground. Um, I, I, no. I don't have a drone myself, but um, I can definitely see the appeal of it. Uh, yeah, well, I was just thinking, what what kind of drone? I, I saw uh, recently they launched uh, two new Mavics, uh, uh, but I don't know if the quality is good enough. Is it really good enough for print uh, for making prints? Uh, maybe it's just. I think I think so. I uh, mean, um, I know the the DJI Phantom Four Pro can produce some pretty pretty good images i think the trick is finding a drone that you know is weighs enough so that if it's windy or, or mm -hmm. you know it doesn't get affected by the vibrations as mm -hmm. much um otherwise it's you know it's, i think there's a lot of trade-offs in drone photography in terms of noise and size versus image quality and 
stability. Yeah, so. if, if it just, yeah. I mean, I think quite a lot of people are flying drones just to make photos for Facebook or Instagram. I'm, right. I'm not really interested in that. I want to be able to make prints from them, but maybe we are there now in terms of technology. I don't know. I think we're we're pretty close, if not already there. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. I'm I'm curious. Have you seen? Do you do you feel like uh, aerial imagery that that you kind of helped pioneer? Do you think? Do you feel like that's been cheapened at all through the popularization of drones? Mm, uh, I don't, not really. Uh, the, the big difference between flying uh, helicopters and, and drones is that if you fly a helicopter or airplane, you, 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 you overlook the landscape in front of you and, and you can discover things that you can never discover if you're flying drones because if you fly a drone, you have to know where to go. You have to drive mm -hmm. there. Probably you can find a good location on Google Earth and you can get get to that location, but you will never be able to discover uh, new things mm -hmm. uh, because you're, you're limited. You know, you have a range of a couple of kilometers here and there, but that's it. Right. Uh, no, that, that definitely makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But uh, cool. it's, it's a fantastic compliment, I think. And one day yeah. uh, I was thinking of maybe buying a drone this year for, because we had some extreme forest fires up north and we're talking mm. uh, huge areas that are, are burnt down by, by uh, uh, these forest fires. Uh, and uh, I think that could be interesting to shoot from a drone to see this vast landscape completely destroyed. <laughs> no doubt. We... We had a pretty big fire about 10 miles north of me this summer. And I think mm. I was thinking some of the same stuff. Like it'd be really interesting to fly a drone up there now to see exactly what the devastation looks like. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure it's impressive. Well, cool. So I got two more questions for you. The first one is um, based on the name of the podcast, F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. What advice do you have for other photographers? Yeah, it, it's a tough question. Uh, I can say one thing. It was so much easier when I was young and because there were, uh, with, uh, I mean, if we're talking making your, your uh, uh, how do I say, income from photography, becoming a professional photographer was so much easier 30 years ago because there was a demand for, for images and you could join uh, some of the big agencies and you delivered uh, images to them and they sold it and you could really make your living from stock photography and i did so and about 2008 the whole industry collapsed so today it it hardly doesn't exist you what you make from agencies today is peanuts so that that um, that outlet for your images is kind of worthless so you have to find, uh, first of all, you should not be too, uh, how to say, uh, ha too much in a hurry. You, you should uh, probably get half a half-time job and, and get some kind of uh, security income that way. And then try to find niches, niches where, where you can sell your work, uh, maybe uh, join... 
connect to some kind of company wants uh, maybe outdoor clothes they produce outdoor clothing or whatever could be and provide them with images and get some income that way uh, that's that's a financial financial part but in terms of photography you should not uh, follow the mainstream uh, I think that's uh, that's a stupid way because then you become like everybody else you, your photography will not be unique uh, if you have some ideas uh, and people might criticize you for those ideas don't bother about that stick to your ideas and do it more and more uh, I would say thoroughly and eventually uh, you have created a new style and then you can have a future uh, being different from others and uh, yeah you need a lot of stamina today it's not easy uh, it's almost hopeless to make your living from photography even for me uh, after all these years uh, you might think it's uh, you have established a, a a name, a reputation, etc. But you can't live on that. You need to have sheer money in your hand. You you have to make money from your photography in order to survive. And and if if you don't if you don't uh, get uh, the money, you, uh, I say money for uh, bread and butter, you cannot develop your photography either. So it's <laughs> uh, it's it's a uh, tough. It's really tough. Uh, it's one of the toughest jobs you can get into today. I think freelance photographer that that's it's it's actually a bloody nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh... yeah, it's uh, yeah. I always say get a get a half time job at least, and then try to de- develop from there. It's uh... there's just so much competition nowadays, and so much mm-hmm. talent. Talent. I feel like it's very difficult to to stand out from the crowd um, unless you mm. have a very specific niche that people have a, have a demand for, like you were saying. Yeah. It, uh, you, you have to, you have to be lucky to find a, a cow to milk, you know? Yes. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, yeah. So who, last question. Um, who would you like to hear on the podcast? Well, uh, I would love to hear uh, Edward Butinsky if you could get, could get hold of him. I, I think his work is fantastic. And, and uh, uh, it's always, his images always have a message. Uh, uh, he recently um, uh, published a film and uh, was also a book coming out on, on this Anthropocene. Thing, you know, we have entered a new era, a new uh, time, a new age, where man has become the most influential uh, force on the on on the earth, and uh, his imagery is really uh, depicting that in in a brilliant way. And uh, yeah, I really like his work, and it would be interesting to hear what he has to say. Well, thank you, Hans, for spending your evening with me here on the podcast. It has been um, really fun catching up with you. And uh, I I can't express enough how inspiring your work is to me, but also so many other people that I talk to um, out there. So um, I know that people are going to be really excited to hear this one. Mm, Thank you, Matt. Uh, It's been a pleasure. 
Uh, I hope you can uh, deal with my Swinglish, but I I'm doing my best. <laughs> oh, your your English is perfect. Mm. <laughs> oh, well, thanks thanks to Hans for taking the time to visit with us on the podcast. It was just such a great conversation. Uh, check out the liner notes on my blog at www.mapainphotography.com for tons of links to all the topics we discussed and more. You can see some of his really insane pho photographs over there. Um, hey, thanks to everyone who's written a uh, review about the podcast over on iTunes. Um, it really does help people discover the podcast. Um, so thank you so much. And uh, as a bonus, if you leave a five-star review, I thank you on the show. Speaking of which, thanks to SD for their amazing five-star review of the podcast on iTunes. It was really thoughtful. Thank you. Um, I'm also super thankful and gen for the generous support I've been receiving on Patreon. I'm so close to my first fundraising goal on Patreon. And once I hit that goal, I'm going to create some wacky, crazy, fun video thanking all of you over on Patreon. Um, maybe try to get like, <laughs> like David Kingham and... And, uh, and Alex Noriega to do another video for me. That might be fun. Um, you too can support the show by visiting patreon.com slash fstop and listen. Uh, this week, the bonus episode with Hans is all about his new focus on photographing man's impact on ecosystems. It's inspiring stuff for sure, so be sure to tune in. Um, thanks to our newest patron, uh, my old friend Cameron Miller. Thank you so much, man. I'm Super thankful. I appreciate it. Um, as always, if you want to drop me a line about the podcast, um, I'm looking for some suggestions on uh, panel topic discussions. Uh, so please reach out to me uh, via my website at mattpainphotography.com or check us out on Twitter or Instagram at mattpainphoto or on Facebook as Matt Payne Photography. Thanks for listening. <laughs>